Good morning. You know, when I think in my head, who will I be singing to Jesus with for eternity? It's got to be this crew. The people that were capable of digging out because being with my church was crucial this morning. I appreciate that about you. I appreciate that. I, I'm being serious about the last part. The first part about the getting to heaven thing, don't, don't read into that. But the, the second part, the, good job. So glad that you recognize how important it is to be, be together. Um, announcements. That's why I'm here. I will announce and then get off. We have all kinds of opportunities for education coming up here. Um, number one, in February, Pastor Wayne Hoag is going to come back. Hoag. He likes, to, he likes me to pronounce it correctly. I'm sorry. Hoag. Can you read that? He's down there at the bottom. If you can't read that, I will read it to you. Essentially, they're gonna, we are going to do a class specifically focusing on the Holy Spirit and what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit, starting in February 1st. That's going to be a Thursday night at 6 o'clock. They're going to meet over in Ray Hall. So if you typically come for prayer and worship, this is going to replace our prayer and worship time for the month of February to talk about the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you to come. If there's anybody at this church that through study and experience could teach you things that maybe you're not even familiar with about the Holy Spirit, it would be Wayne. I would encourage you to come. Do you know how much it costs? Nothing. Absolutely free of charge to you. Another class that is free of charge to you, I announced this last week, is the New Believers class. This is going to actually happen Sunday mornings, 1030, starting January 21st. So in a couple of weeks here, if you gave your life to Christ sometime within the last couple years, and you are looking to try to understand more about this and are looking for some guidance, I've put together a three-week class that just focuses on the basics to try to encourage you about what has happened to you, what is happening to you, and what will happen to you. That's what those three weeks will focus on so that you can have, hopefully, a, a, a little bit more orientation of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I encourage you to come to that class. you know how much that class is going to cost you? N nothing. I mean, you can pay if you'd like, but uh, it's free. Free to everyone else. Free to everyone else. Uh, number, th you know, since we're on the, the idea of studying, the women's Bible studies are starting back up this week. Awana is starting back up this week. Essentially, if you have already been gathering with one of those groups, they all start back up this week at their normal times. Uh, join for that. And then finally, tomorrow night, the, yeah, tomorrow is the 8th. Tomorrow night, we have a baby shower for these two wonderful smiling people over here, these new parents-to-be. If you're not familiar with what's going on, we have a tradition here where when a family that is a part of our church has their first child in our church, we try to celebrate collectively with them. This is not a typical shower where you go and do clothespins or whatever it is that you women normally do at your showers. This is a co-ed, come and celebrate, come and eat. Uh, this, just come celebrate their, their new child. That will be tomorrow night in Ray Hall at 6 p.m. That is all the announcements that I have for you. Uh, I didn't see, oh, it's Communion Sunday. So no junior high. So if you're a junior higher, stay here and worship with one another. And then, man, I really want to 
just say something embarrassing or wonderful. <laughs> you know, just look, look how good this guy looks. Isn't he a good-looking guy? That was a light one. That was a light one. That's what happens when hardly anybody's at church. You get made fun. Um, good morning. I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, let me just share a couple things. One, uh, I don't know if Brad mentioned my name, so if you happen to be visiting, I'm Jesse. And uh, really glad that you're, you're here. We uh, concluded 2023, obviously. We're now in 2024. Brad had a wonderful message last week. Uh, if you missed that, I would encourage you to tune into it. I, I found it uh, to be just a wonderful message. Found myself even getting moved in my spirit, especially when you start quoting Moana, you know? Like, why quote scripture when you can quote Moana, right, Brad? <laughs> if you missed that, it, it was good. It was really good. Um, I want to handle just a couple things of business, just a little bit, not much, uh, and then get into scripture, kind of let you know what we're doing, where we're headed. You can see the title behind me, Our House. We're going to do a topical sermon series just for a few weeks uh, on the church, what it is to be a part of the church, what it means to have a church, uh, just different aspects of it, um, and, and there's a reason for that. And we try to inform you of these things uh, as often as we can, but as the church has continued to grow and go through its dynamics, there, this is a very dynamic church to be a part of. I don't know one church uh, that has had the conversations like we've had in the last couple years. One, uh, one of those conversations is, do we need to move to a third service? Look around. <laughs> you have these Sundays in Tahoe that are, are this, and it's okay. You can't fight it. It is what it is. There's people digging out. There's people who are cold. It's tried. Roads are treacherous, right? All that stuff. People come from Reno to our church. That hinders them from coming. And I just mention that because we, we, are, we are praying about a third service. Um, and that dynamic is just an interesting dynamic. I'm, I, even last night, I was praying through it. Maybe changing the times, the first two times, you know, just w- what's going to work best. Even going through a hybrid model of like, do we have winter hours? <laughs> and do we have summer hours? You know, those kind of things. And so just pray for us. We're going to do a survey at some point in the next few weeks. Um, I don't know exactly when we'll do it, but we're going to do a survey just asking you if we had different options for times, what one would you go to? Obviously, you're here at 830. Would it be beneficial to continue with the 830? Move that to nine. Those are all just things that we're wrestling through. No decisions have been made. Again, because of this dynamic, it's just we've been talking about a third service for a few years. I was part of the church when we moved from one service to two services. So I know what it looks like to to add another gathering. It, it, It means more work for the staff, obviously. It means we need, need a greater volunteer base. It means that we need to think through how we do Sundays on a, Chris, on a Christmas, on a, on a uh, service like this when we know people aren't going to um, be able to make it. You, you know, in the past, we've even just done a 10 o'clock service on a day like this. That's an option. If it's real, real heavy snow, we can, we can do that. So uh, be praying for us in that season. But in part two, <clears throat> you know, I just want to say, no, Brad said it last week. I was thankful he mentioned it. I think we had, uh, we put up the wall and we asked you to, to put up names. And on some of those cards were multiple names. Some of them had two or three names on those cards. Uh, some of them just had one. And, and on each card, we had asked you, pray for these folks. Pray that, that they come to faith. These are people that are important to you, people that are important to, to people in our church, family members, coworkers. Uh, we had 281 cards that were posted, probably representing close to 600 plus names. 
uh, which uh, we still have out here. We set them out here. If, if you place the name on a card and you want to keep that card and you want to put it up on your refrigerator or, or on your wall or you want to go take it to the person you were praying for and nail it to their door wall at home, uh, to let them know how serious you are about their salvation. You can go take that card. I don't recommend the actual nailing it on the, the, the door. None of you are Martin Luther, so don't do that. But if you want to keep those cards and pray for those folks, please take them. Uh, <clears throat> and then I think Brad had mentioned as well, you know, there were several names on, that, on those cards. Those folks came to the Lord in the last several weeks. And, and on Christmas Eve, we had somewhere around seven folks in each service, probably around 20 plus individuals make a, a statement of faith that they wanted to have a relationship with Christ and to give their lives to the Lord. That's pretty neat. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's a real blessing. Uh, I got really choked up in the last gathering on Christmas Eve because I knew as I was standing here and I was looking at folks who were responding and seeing their eyes you know, turning to Jesus. They're looking to me, but they're not looking to me. You know, they're looking to the Lord. They're looking to, to the, you know, I, I know what Jesus has done for me. And I, I just got overwhelmed with emotion to think I, I got to be the guy that gets to stand up here and see that. But I know that in order for them to actually have come to that place, uh, we just want to pray for whoever they're going to. Um, they probably had 2000 conversations before coming to Christmas Eve over a period of years. And nothing I did was unique or special. I just gave them the opportunity. Uh, and that's just, God works so good. So I'm, I'm very thankful. And, and because of that, we have strategically, through prayer, lined up the classes on the Holy Spirit, lined up a, the class on, on if you're newer in faith, whatever that means for you. You could have been here for the last four years. You may want to take Brad Beer's class. Highly recommend you do that. Um, Brad has it laid out in a really beautiful way. Basically, like, what's happened to you? Now that, that Christ has moved in your heart, what's happened to you? The next, the next question then is, what's, what's going to happen to you? And it's good. It's good, right? Uh, and, and so I really want to, we, we've done that on purpose. And then this series is on purpose as well. Uh, for the, it's just a reestablishment in 2024. God has grown our church. Let's make sure that our new believers know what, they, what has happened to them. Let's help those of us who are growing in our faith know what the Spirit does to move us into, into a new, uh, you know, new arenas, whatever that looks like. And then in this series, Our House, what does it mean for us to really be a people of God? And so I want to ask that question up front. What does it mean for us to be people of God? That's what we call the church, but it's people of God. That it, church isn't a building. Uh, we, we could do this without the walls. We could do it without the lights. We could. Uh, but, but this is our house, and our house is the people of God. And as God is, works in our lives and he brings us to salvation, he does call us out of darkness into light. Amen? Right? We, we were once a people of darkness. That's what the Bible says, and now we're people of light. And, and when God does this radical transformation in us, some of what I want to share this morning, I've, I, it's actually something that's happening to me every week, if I'm honest in my preaching to get across the standards that God has for us. But more than that, to get across the grace of God in those standards and how we live those standards out. Because there's a way to preach and there's a way to live as a Christian that adds nothing but stress, strain uh, to, to your life. It doesn't feel peaceful. Because 
If you're honest, if you look in the mirror, and let's just that be, this is going to be part of the text this morning. And I asked you, do you live holy? Are you a holy liver? Do you even know what holiness means, right? I mean, it's to be set apart. It's to not have sin. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, the guys in the back have Bibles for you. Just raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Um, and uh, pray for me as I dig into this, and we'll hopefully be able to get everything across in time here. But in 1 Peter, you remember Peter, right? He's, he's the guy who messed everything up all the time. He put his foot in his mouth. Right? He, he's the disciple that most Christians relate to because he, he's, he's radical in his faith. Right? Do, you remember, do you remember Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested? So Jesus is arrested, and, and they're, they're taking him away, if you will. And, and does anyone remember what Peter does in that instance in the Garden? He pulls out a sword, and he chops off one of the guard's ears. Now, so we're clear, when the Bible says that Peter used his sword to chop off the guard's ear, what the Bible isn't teaching is that Peter's aim was perfect. He knew what he was aiming for and he cut off his ear. Peter was trying to kill the guy. <laughs> he just missed. And that's the life of Peter, right? Whatever Peter set out to do, he, he said he would do it with confidence and he would end up messing it up. And, and, and he even denies Jesus. But Jesus goes back. John 21 is one of the most beautiful passages you can read is, when it comes to reconciliation and ha, how God uses us in imperfection. And so Jesus calls Peter after his mess-ups. And how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. John 21, how many times did Jesus restore Peter? Three times, right? He, he, he basically tells Peter three times. He, he, he basically saying, Peter, all of it's forgiven, and I want you now to go feed my sheep in grace. So Peter now then goes, and he, he steps out, acts as his big coming out uh, as far as like a preacher goes. He preaches the word of God and acts. He shares the gospel. Thousands of people come to the Lord through him, and he writes so much of, of different parts of the Bible, this being one of them, First and Second Peter. And, uh, and as he writes this, he's this imperfect guy. That's what you need to know. And it, that imperfection didn't stop because he knew Jesus. He still had imperfection in him. And he still writes this book in his imperfection. And it's interesting to note, before we stand here and read in a moment, what he talks about. So if you would, stand with me and turn to verse 13 of chapter 1. Some of the language is going to sound familiar if you've been with us for the last few months, especially out of Ephesians 6. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Chapter 1, verse 13. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you holy, you also beholding your conduct. Do you see that? This is very interesting. Now, Peter, he's imperfect, but he's telling us that we need to be holy. Holy is perfect standard. This is what it is to be holy in all your conduct, he says. Since it's written, you should be holy for I'm holy. And if you call on him who, who, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of your exile. 
knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls to the obedience to the truth from a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like, a, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We trust you for this, Lord. Teach us, grow us to be your church. In Jesus' name we say, amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. Well, here's my first point that I think Peter's trying to make for us. The first point when it comes to being part of God's kingdom and part of God's church that he states is that holy living matters for his people. Throughout the Bible, really, this is something that we see in the Old Testament, especially all the way through the New, that God is calling his people to be a holy and particular kind of people. He shares with us a little bit of what some of that holiness looks like. Take note in verse 13, he tells us to prep our minds and to prep our minds for action. We've talked about this on several occasions, but this idea of, of, of prepping your minds, or as the scripture would say here, the, the language isn't something that we're used to. Gird up your loins. Some of you remember this language from Ephesians. When we put on the armor of God, it says to put on the belt of truth, right? And, and, and that is to gird up our loins. So literally, the, the, they would wear longer clothing in that day, and in order to move freely, they would have to gird up their loins. That is to take their clothing, tuck it into their belt so that they can move freely in life. Now, Peter's making an emphasis here that we're to gird up our loins, but specifically he says here, you are to roll up the sleeves, is another way to say it, roll up the sleeves of your mind. There, there, is, there needs to be as Christians in our holy living, a preparation within our minds. Something has to happen within our intellect, right? There's a, a passage in Jeremiah in the Old Testament that says, dress yourself, gird your loins for work, arise up. This is language that, that he's saying in order for us to, to, to be the people of God that God's called us to be, to be part of his house, to be part of his kingdom means specifically that we're going to take action, but we're going to take action within the mind first. We can't be lazy when it comes to the intellect, when it comes to engaging our mind. I had a wonderful conversation with a good friend this week that revolved around just that just discussing some of what it looks like to engage faith with one's mind. Now, we know that engaging faith has to be more than just the mind, but the Bible never says just leave your brain at the door. It tells you that you should study, you should meditate, and you should pray. Have you ever thought of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God? What is a peacemaker? A peacemaker right? That's effort. That takes activity. Peacemakers aren't passive, right? We know to have peace is to be without conflict, but Paul's not saying, I'm sorry, Peter's not saying, bad habit. Peter's not saying, hey, 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 just, just sit back and pray. No, the Bible teaches you are to gird up the loins of your mind. You're to prepare for action. You're to be a peacemaker. You're to be active in the body of Christ. 
in order for us to be the people of God, to be holy, what he's really telling us ultimately is that the activity that has to happen before, before we actually serve with our hands and feet, we have to have an activity of the mind. He then goes on even a little further, if you notice in the text, what does he say? Gird up your minds, but he also tells us, do you see it? To be sober-minded. Right? To be a people of God means not only do we prepare our minds for action, but it means that our minds are sober. What does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of drunkenness. It's the opposite of, of not, uh, I'm sorry, of, uh, of being lazy. It's, it's knowing that you are in control because of God's truth. Really what this means to be sober-minded is that you're self-controlled. You know how to say no to the next drink. You know how to say no to the next Netflix show that you're about to watch. You know how to say yes to maybe going to bed at a proper time. All of these things are self-discipline that help us thrive and to be the people of God. Right? This is, this is good stuff. Prepare your minds here for a moment because this isn't the only thing that matters. We'll get to that here in a second. He's telling us to be a people of God, to be holy. That's I want you to understand, I'm going to give you two themes this morning. I'm not going to give you the second one yet. The major theme when we think of this particular message and from this passage that God is calling his people to be, the one theme I need you to think of right now to engage your mind is God's calling you to be holy. Okay, that, that's the first one. We'll hold on to this one. We're going to keep going in it. So don't be drunk. Be sober-minded. <clears throat> but you know the drunkenness that he's talking about? isn't just alcohol or drugs. Peter is telling us not to be drunk with the world, to not be so disillusioned by the news and to be so influenced by social media and the mantra and, 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 of the culture. And that's why he says, and, and for us, it means something a little different than what Peter's saying too. But do you notice he says, you have been set free from the feudal ways of your forefathers. Some of you, including myself, have been taught lessons by our dads, that's our forefathers, that didn't come from God. And now that you're at the place as an adult, you have to do a little bit of this, this prepping your mind for action, being sober-minded and engaging the mind to recognize what are the things that the culture has taught me that I think are really, really important, but God actually says have nothing to do with my holiness at all. You want to know one of them? I'll, I'll share you one. I lived... I lived growing up, growing up believing in a lot of ways, especially even as an adult, that, that I was a victim. Right? I, drugs and alcohol in my life. I grew up in a junkyard. That's a true story. Hirschdale auto wrecking yard. I grew up in that when it was there. Like that was my life. My dad taught me respect matters. Don't let anyone push you around. Right? Like if, if, if you couldn't solve something with your intellect, you could solve it with this, right? That, that was part of the cultural mantra that, that I was taught and, and grew up with. That, that is the feudal way of thinking. And feudal, just so you mean, know, know what that means. It means it's fruitless. So there's things that my dad unintentionally taught me that weren't biblical. And, 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 and there's things that God's trying to say, listen, if... if that is to be drunk on the world. That's not to be sober-minded. That's to think like the world thinks. You don't need to think like your forefathers. And for, Paul, for Peter, Peter's telling his readers, the Jews, you know what you inherited? This is going to sound so contradictory if you're sticking with me and you're engaging your mind. Right? You, 
you're to be a people of God and you're to be holy, he tells them. You're to be set apart and you're to be perfect and not drunk on the world. Revelation says this about, about the whole entire world at the end of it all. The nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her, of her luxurious living. All of the Epstein stuff that's Revelation 18, isn't it? Right? All of the, 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 the leaders of the world being drunk on sexual immorality, the, the, the culture being drunk on sexual immorality. Do you notice this is why I said being sober-minded is to be drunk on the world. It's not just to be drunk on wine. It's to be drunk with the passions of the flesh, which literally means I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it how, how I want to do it, and I'm going to follow my feelings. Because the culture says that that really the, the best people in the world, what they do is they follow their heart. Isn't that what the world tells you to do? Didn't, weren't you told that at some point in fifth or sixth grade, if not sooner than? Anybody? I mean, I don't know. I, it's been a while since I've been in fifth or sixth grade. Some of you are younger than me now. What do they tell you now? Follow your dreams, whatever it may be. It's follow your passions. That's what it means to be drunk on the world. And, and what Paul is essentially saying here, Paul, I keep saying Paul because we were in Ephesians for so long. Peter is telling us that God's people are to live not in the light of the culture and the light of their forefathers and the futility of the way of thinking from your forefathers or your parents or grandparents, but to live in the light of God's will and to not let your eyes be blurred by sin or the distractions of the world. So when Peter's saying, you be holy, don't, there, there's something that has to happen in the mind and you can't let your mind get drunk on the ways of the world. Paul tells young Timothy, you gotta be sober-minded. Tim, you're gonna pastor a church? You're gonna lead people? You've gotta be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. So, so what we're being told here is that Christians in the house of God, even outside of the house of God in the culture, we, we're literally... We're literally to be ready to do the mental work and to be totally focused on God's plan, right? That, that's what we have, to, that's what we're supposed to be doing as, as a church to be holy is to say, I wanna know God's plan. And he tells us, he tells us in, in verse 15, all of your conduct is supposed to look like this. How are you doing? Like all your conduct. Are you holy in your parenting? Are you holy in your marriage? Are, are you holy, right? Because he tells us, he says to you, he says to you, you have to be holy in all of your conduct. Romans tells us like this, don't be conformed to the world. Don't look like the world. Don't act like them. Don't talk like them. Don't, don't do the same things they do because they don't know me. They live for themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. He literally tells us, you this is Exodus 19. You're to be a people, a people, a kingdom of people to me, he says, that are priests and a holy nation. Now, this is a big deal for me because I want our church to embrace the identity that God has given them so that you can walk in the power of God. And in order for you to walk in the power of God, you need to hear and embrace the identity that Jesus has given you. You, my friend, are a priest. So go get your little black shirt and your little white collar 
and start praying for folks. <laughs> you understand that I'm joking. The, the, the Catholic Church says in order to be a priest, in order to be a saint, you have to do all of these things. You have to take all of these classes. That's not what the text teaches. Do you know how many classes Peter has taken up to this point? <laughs> now he did walk with the Lord for three years and we saw how that education went. He flunked out of school, guys. He flunked out of seminary. That's what happened to Peter. And he eventually comes back to God. This is all going to tie in really quickly here. Here's ultimately what living holy is. It's to live, and what we would say in the Latin, it's to live quorum Deo. How many of you are familiar with that term? Quorum Deo is just a fancy way of saying that Christians understand that we live in the gaze of God. We live in his eyesight. And just, you know, everyone lives in the gaze of God. Like nothing escapes him. But for us, we say, okay, I'm going to live in quorum Deo. I'm going to live in the gaze of God. And we're told what that looks like. He says, he says, as you live in the gaze of God, quorum Deo, to be holy, have fear while in what? What's he say? It's in the text. I know it's a long text I read, so you might have a hard time finding it. It's okay. Plus, you might be scared to say the wrong thing. Exile. Do you see it? Part of what it means to be in part of the house of God, part of what it means to be the church of God means that you understand that you're an alien and a sojourner. You don't even belong here. This is why I get so frustrated with nationalism. Like, I love the U.S. I told my kids just the other day, just so we're all really, really clear, my kid told me, he said the other day, he goes, it's not fair. I go, it's not fair. And I just, you know, you know, I can talk fast and get real aggressive, right? And I'm like, what do you mean it's not fair? You're born in America to two parents who live in Truckee, California. <coughs> you have a house. You had sushi for lunch the other day. You weren't born in Africa, wondering where your next meal was going to come from, wearing no shoes and not having an opportunity for education and not hearing the gospel. What do you mean fair? Who's it fair for? Is life fair? It isn't. But we have to understand that the, the person who loves Christ, whether he's in Africa, America, Germany, Ukraine, Russia, China, all of us share one reality. None of us are part of those nations. We're part of the nation of God. That's why he says, I'm going to make a new people, a new nation, a new race. Right? So, so, you, you know that one day America won't stand. Do you know that? But it's so funny to me because I see so many Christians fighting to keep America standing. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight to keep America standing, but what we should fight for is elevating the name of God. That's our battle. Our battle isn't politics, though you need to vote. Don't hear me differently. But it's where your focus is, to be a people of God, to have fear in exile. He's saying, you are in exile. You don't belong here. So don't live like you do. That means, that means right, you take, you take uh, my wife right now, she's on a kick. I shouldn't tell you this. I'm going to anyway. She likes watching uh, these videos. Um, I think it's one gal in particular. She's married to an Italian guy. She's American. She's married to an Italian guy. And she loves watching these videos of the wife trying to, to get her Italian husband to say things correctly in English, and he can't do it. And they're hilarious, right? And I'm not even attempt to, but she loves these videos, right? It's the same kind of thing. Like he's, 
it's only funny to us because he's not from here, <laughs> right? And, and, and we're gonna look funny to the world when we live like Christ calls us to live because we don't belong here. They're gonna laugh at us. They may mock us. But that's part of what it is to be in exile. And when we think of the holiness of God in this regard, Jeremiah tells us exactly how to live in exile. And I think it's one of the best passages, even though it's in the Old Testament, but it shows us because, because who else at one time were exiles? God's Jewish Hebrew people. And so they're taken captive in Babylon. They don't have a place of their own. And many of you who follow the news, you know that's exactly what, what's happening between Hamas and, 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 and the Jewish people in Israel is it comes down to, is this our home? Is this not our home? The people of God, not against the people. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament, all the way back to Esau. I mean, the, the tension there. Right? And so, so here the people of Israel have known exile. And so God speaks to them while they're in exile and while they're in slavery, while they don't live in the world that they belong to. And this is what he says to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles. That's you now. Whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's his commandment, right? I just want you to picture this for a moment. God's people. I, we don't have time to get into it, but through a series of events, they're brought into slavery. They're, they're taken captive. They're now in a new land. They've got a king that isn't their own. They're under a rule that isn't their own, which actually goes all the way into the New Testament, by the way. But here they are. They're all on their own. And this is God's commandments in exile. Are you ready for it? Because this is holy living. It's a big part of God's house to be holy. Remember I told you, carry the theme of holiness. <clears throat> Build houses live in them. Hey, Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? Commandment's not any different. How's that feel, Ryan? You're in the will of the Lord. Build houses. But live in them. Do you understand what he's been part saying? You're in exile. You're not going anywhere for a while, though. So, you know, don't get comfortable, but get comfortable. I think I know a couple other house builders over here. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat produce, take wives. Marriage is good. And don't just take wives, have sons and have daughters. That's great news. Do you hear that? This is gospel. This is holy living. Holy living in part is, okay, you live separate. But when you live separate, you live in a culture, invest in the, in the community. One of the reasons my wife and I prayed that we would own a home here is that Truckee, California would see that my wife and I have put roots here. We're invested in this community. Now, now I'm not, I don't want to go too far down the line too far here, but I have known pastors who've lived in this area, who, who I'm sorry, haven't lived in this area, but have pastored in this area, but lived in Reno. Do you know who wants to live in Reno and pastor Truckee? I'd love to do that, man, because then I don't have to shovel that white stuff out there. But I can't because I don't pastor Reno. I'm going to be a shepherd here. I'm in to invest in my captivity here. This is my current exile. And I've done everything that God's called me to do. I, I've I got a house. I'm living in it. I don't plant gardens, but I do have a great lawn. <clears throat> and I don't grow produce because it would taste awful. And I have taken a wife, and I do have sons, and I do have a daughter. But he's telling us 
to multiply. He goes on and says, multiply there and do not decrease. That in part is part of the vision of SBC. Multiply. Don't decrease. Invest in the community. You're in exile. You're called to be holy, but invest. Multiply there. And then he goes on and he says this, listen, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. That is part of the mission of Seer Bible. Yes, part of the mission is to bring people to Jesus Christ. Part of the mission is that we would be part of the greater welfare of this community and that we would be an advocate on its behalf. And he says it like this, he says, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Don't you like that? One of my favorite passages. Now, now I've just shared with you holy living. Now I've got three minutes, really, to, to kind of wrap this up and share with you that as important as that is, that's actually not the point of the, of the message. I only got three minutes to tell you the real point. So buckle up. What's the real point? Do you remember how it started out? Holiness matters. I had asked you the question. <clears throat> um... Oh, now I've got to find it. Where is it? Okay, there it is. For some reason, it keeps hiding from me because Satan wants me to not see it. I always think it's further on in the text, but it's actually right in the beginning in verse 13. Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on what? See, this is the part where I just feel so woefully inadequate. Because I know that I know I can preach a good message on telling you how to be holy. But that's not the point of the Bible, and it's not the point of the text. The whole point of the text is for you to know the love of God. That's the whole point of the text. He's saying, yes, your holiness matters, but your holiness only flows out of you knowing what God has done for you. Your holiness only can come, your holiness will only, will only grow to the degree, listen carefully now, your holiness will only grow to the degree that you fully understand the grace of God on your life because you'll never be holy. But you are already holy. Jesse, would you make the message make sense? I can't. I can't. That's the tension of Christianity. Yes, holiness matters. Yes, righteousness matters. Yes, you need to be perfect. Yes, you should be a good husband. Yes, you should be a good wife and you should raise your children according to God. But the message of the gospel, the message of this is if you're really gonna be holy, you have to understand you can't do any of that. You're inadequate. It'll never be perfect. You'll try your hardest. It'll still fall apart. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. Have you ever noticed that? God, I did all the right things. I did A, B, C, D, and E. How come I didn't get the outcome that I looked for? Because that's not grace. Right? If, if, if I could control outcomes with my good deeds, I wouldn't need the cross. I wouldn't need salvation. Right? Here, here's the best part of being a pastor now at this point in my career. I can't do anything. He does it all. I can't do anything. But does that stop me from, from effort? 
Does it stop me from, from bleeding and sweating over my notes? I don't, I don't really bleed, but, and I don't really sweat either, if I'm honest. <coughs> These are very soft hands. Keyboards are wonderful for, no, I, I can't control outcomes. And next week, just by the way things are, I want to share with you what it looks like from the same passage. To embrace the love of God, to embrace the grace of God, because this is what he's saying. And then, and then what is true holiness? True holiness is receiving the love of God, and true holiness is loving as God loved. And that's what we'll talk about next week. We're going to get more into love, because we're not getting enough of it, and we're not getting enough grace. And it's my prayer in 2024 that I can help awaken myself with the help of the Spirit, though I feel like I've had some of that, and I can help help through, through, as God works through me, that you would grow in the grace of God. And that you would say to yourself, because here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to leave here feeling condemned that you're not holy. I want you to leave here knowing that God has made you holy. And he accepts you for who you are right now, outside of any other behavior or actions that you've ever done. If you can embrace it, this is what it means to live in the peace of God without conflict. And it is a weird dynamic. Because so many of you are going to think Christianity is about what I do. We just sing it. What does that song say? I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what you've done. Is that the lyric? Dude big kudos to me for remembering that correctly. <laughs> I am so awful with songs. I know what he's done. Your holiness comes. And he, he, he even says it here a different way. If I can find it. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed, here's the gospel. I'll share a little bit more than this last next week. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways. Ransomed, that means you were purchased. He bought you. Not with gold, but with his blood. He, he purchased you away from your slavery of trying to work hard. He purchased you from the slavery of trying to worry about results when all you got to worry about is his grace and his love for you. Set your hope on the glory to come. The gospel's all over this. And you could read it and think, I gotta do more. Or you can read it and think, he did it all. Which makes me want to do more. <laughs> That's the tension. And so with that said, I want to invite the team to come up. Um, Terry, would you do me a favor? Would you come up? Terry and Travis, if you guys would come up, and Ryan and, and Brad, if you guys would be my four guys. And here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, we're just, we're going to pass out the elements. And, um, and uh, <clears throat> as we pass them out, just hold on to them until you're ready. I'm not going to come back up. So if you're not paying attention, you're going to wonder, what's Jesse doing? I'm not going to come back up. We're going to hand out the elements to you. Take them as you feel led. I want you to sing. I want you, maybe, maybe you lean in next to your wife. You lean in next to your friend. You lean in next to a, a stranger, whatever you feel comfortable with. But I want to give you an opportunity to take communion as you feel led in the next, next couple songs. 
Because communion is an opportunity for us to sit down with the Lord and to say, you know what? I'm at the table with you. It's a reminder that this, like, this is why we serve communion at the table. It's called being at the table. I know it's hard to do in a room like this to sit down all of us at a table. And I think we're going to do another Seder feast this year. I can't remember, but um, are we? Oh, okay, good. And uh, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> um, this is the God. <laughs> This is the gospel. You get to sit down with the Lord. You get to sit down with the Lord. And it doesn't matter what you did yesterday or this morning or what you're going to do tomorrow. He's telling you right now, I want you to sit with me because I love you for who you are. Not who you're going to be. I love you for who you are. All of it. Good and bad. So Lord, as we receive these elements we say thank you. And we ask for more of you in our life, whatever that may look like. Could you put an end to our striving to be something we can't do or be without all of your help and all of your assistance? We are holy because we're one with you. Because we're one with you, Lord. We've already been clean. We're, we're cleansed. We're, we're white as snow. Oh, Lord, liberate us from any other message than that. And when that liberation lead to really beautiful, holy living, as we take communion, we trust you for it. Because salvation is a work of God, and so is our sanctification. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead, guys.